Hi, I'm Sarah. And I'm Amy. We both grew up with dads who drank too much. So, we are both adult children of alcoholics. And we're here to talk about our experiences using honesty and some pretty dark humour. We'll be chatting to a variety of people affected by alcohol addiction. Our dads were both called Steve and they're both dead now, which means we can finally have the conversations we've wanted to. You had to go there already, didn't you? (laughs) We've had a lot of experiences between us and we are both really passionate about helping other people. So sit back, relax and join us with Sarah and Amy, Children of Alcoholics podcast. So today we are speaking to Jess and Georgia, who are sisters. Jess is a sales and marketing director at the Hotel Football in Manchester. And Georgia is a business owner of a hair and beauty salon and academy called Allure in Manchester. Um, My first point is, Jess, can you imagine how hard it was to get an 11-year-old off my computer? to talk to somebody from Manchester when he's a Liverpool supporter. So not only did I have to stop him playing Fortnite, had to tell him I was speaking to someone directly connected with Manchester United. It's not gone well, if I'm honest. (laughs) Georgia, I come to you looking like an absolute piece of crap today. So that's nice as well. Really, really feeling really great about how today's going to (laughs) go. Got really good vibes, guys. So am I right? You guys kind of came to Nakoa initially after seeing Callum on Celebrity SAS and kind of realised Nakoa was a thing and it was something you identified with and that's how you guys got involved. Yeah. You take that. Yeah, it was me that. I was I was sat watching it and then sent Jessica about 30 messages. I never answered my phone anyway, by the way. (laughs) She was lucky. (laughs) <laughs> Literally about 30 messages saying I would need to get involved. Well, it was more for me to put the feelers out for Jessica to do the, the legwork and find out what we needed to do because I, I don't I don't know where to go with that. She's better at that than me. I just got this whole tirade of messages. And I was like, like, half the time I don't even get to watch telly. So I was like, I don't know what she's on about. But she's like, Jess. Yeah, he was like, I think like one word as if like we're going back to not really be able to talk properly to each other. And she's like, Jess, celebrate SAS, Callum's on it this is reference to charity what is it and I was like trying to piece together I was like I don't really know what she's on about I probably haven't spoken to her like all week and I was like I don't really I don't really know I don't really know what you're on about anyway it was she wanted me to do a bit of digging then okay which is then what happened and do you know what I think I think everything happens for a reason um definitely and from that I mean from from that out of nowhere I mean we started kind of having a bit of a Google, then I noticed that obviously, you know, Callum is involved and, and how heavily involved he had been. And then bizarrely, I don't know how, I mean, but I had him on um, one of the social media platforms at the time. And I was thinking, oh, then I was a bit like, oh, I don't really know why. I'm not really sure how I've ended up, how I've got Callum on here. But I thought, you know what, I'm going to message him and just ask outright how, what is it, you know, we've, we've spotted this, you know, what is it that you do? How can we be involved, etc. And to be fair, you know what he didn't have to reply but he did and you can tell that's where he obviously loves what the charity does because it was pretty much instantly he's like right this is what you need to do you know if you if you contact this address let's do this you know let me know when you've done it and I can I can try and get let's let's get some movement on it if you want to be involved and so just to put it into context which I've already failed in my job here today as a host (laughs) but you guys identify as being children of alcohol, children of an alcoholic 
yeah. was your dad Jed who I know passed away not terribly long ago in October last year so it doesn't feel right to carry on without kind of obviously saying we're really sorry yeah. we know just how rubbish that is uh, it's not a club that anyone enjoys being in uh, but you know we we do know how you feel and we are really sorry and that's how you got involved with with the charity yeah I think I, are you going to know this in a bit because I love a tangent so I just went off on one then didn't I no, that's fine. oh I'm oh. don't worry it's fine it's quite rare that I'm this silent at the beginning of a podcast <laughs> well that that in essence was the reason why because Georgia had seen it and then when we started to understand a bit more it was a bit like oh and it was almost it was almost like a community that had being there that we didn't, we didn't realize or then we would then we started to think if if we would have had it if we would have known maybe when we were younger would we have got involved like what would we have actually done because people kind of get it you know like you know p- people in this this club that we talk about they all understand I like to call it the DDC the dead dad's club so uh welcome yeah I'm having some badges made <laughs> <laughs> I told you about the dark humor didn't I just for reference before you guys come on Amy said to me she gave me the brief and she said yeah you know Jess and Georgia they've just recently lost their dad so I don't want to say anything that could potentially trigger or upset and then straight away right right into it in a badge <laughs> she started I knew I knew she would <laughs> But just for reference as well, just in case anybody doesn't know, Callum Best is George Best's son. Um, George Best, English footballer who sadly died from alcohol addiction. I'm not quite sure when, but Callum does a lot for Nakoa. He's a huge voice in the community for raising awareness. So just in case anybody doesn't know, that's who we're talking about at the moment. (laughs) Well, I'd put that in just, you know, (laughs) just in case. So, girls, tell me about Jed, because I have been following you on Instagram and I've seen lots of photos of him. He looked like a real character. So tell us about him. Do you want to start? I mean, the only word that you can describe him as is um, unique. He was, he was, so it was his way or no way. He lived in his own little fairy tale world that He's actually, that's the only word that you can describe him as unique. Up until being four, I thought he was Freddie Mercury. And he allowed me to believe that. You can imagine, can't you? You know, and then I see this news story. I, I was I was probably about four, maybe five. And I see this news story that Freddie Mercury had passed away. And I just remember looking at my dad in shock, being like, hang on a minute, he's there. <laughs> I was like, like, basically, like years later talking about it, I'm like, but you lied to me. And he's like, I didn't lie. I just didn't correct you. And they look quite similar. So I just, you know, I used to think my dad was was Fred. So this is this is the type of person that we obviously we obviously were dealing with. And he was he was fun. He was fun. He like was he fun. used to it like when I was in primary school, he'd come in, in the middle of a classroom, not at reception, in the middle of the classroom and go, You need you've got a doctor's appointment, you need to come with me and he'd take us on the train to Blackpool. I remember once I locked him out of the house by accident and is walked straight into my classroom in front of all of my classmates and went, I need to take her, she's got to do a robbery with me. <laughs> so everyone is looking at me and he had to go back home and climb through the window to get the key out the back, to get put the key in the door to let me. Yeah. And, then he, and then he let me walk back to school on my own, waved at me down the street. It was almost like... I think I think when we are, when we had to sit and think about when we had to sit and think about what we wanted to say, especially we wanted to we were conscious we wanted to speak at his funeral, 
when we were thinking about what we wanted to say, we were always really conscious that kind of we found a community of of, of people within Nakoa. And I think we almost felt a bit, not, not like a fraud, but almost a bit like it was really tough growing up, but because he was such a lovely because he was such a lovely guy as well. It's almost like we don't really want to do him an injustice. And we felt a bit like, you know, a lot of people have had some really, really bad experiences that we've come across, obviously, since starting to chat to people in and around in and around the association. And we like, it's almost like we 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 don't want to be a fraud as such, because we like we love him to bits. It's just also understanding that he was he was hard work, you know. And I I've think I've had that exact conversation with people when I say Oh, it wasn't that bad because, you know, he paid my school fees and we had a lovely house and we went on holidays. And when I did the Nakoa walk last year, somebody was sort of saying, oh, well, I remember when my dad took us to Disneyland and they went, oh, no, I feel really bad saying that. So I think we've all got our own experiences and our own frames of reference. And just because our experience wasn't what somebody else had, it doesn't mean it wasn't bad. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think I remember what I think was it someone on Facebook that I went to school with years ago, and I mustn't have seen this person since she was about twelve. She sent me a message after seeing my dad had passed away and been like, "I remember." I mean, this my mum went, my mum hit the roof, right? Not what you're going to say. She, she said, "I'm like, I'm really sorry for your loss. I'm really sorry to see this. I do remember how kind and fun your dad was. I remember him sending us a private minibus to our house to take us to Blackpool for the day because we were feeling down. My <laughs> mum was like, what? And I was like, this is what he did. I didn't go to Blackpool, by the way. And then I was even more fuming because he's obviously, he's, but this is the type of thing he did. Or like, hired a minibus for the whole, whole coach street. for the whole street. A 70-seater coach turned up to take everyone to Southport to make him feel better. Which, by the way, you told everybody on the street that he'd won the lottery. Yeah, he hadn't. He hadn't. It was coming out of mum's bank account. So obviously, like inside the house, like that was tough because obviously my mum had this to deal with. But in his own little way, he thinks he's kind of making everyone feel feel great or yeah. trying to make everyone happy. And that that was his way of. He didn't realise the feel, damage he was doing. I feel like with dad, that was his sole purpose. To I think he felt better about himself to make other people happy. Yeah. I think that was his like sole purpose of being alive. Although yeah. he didn't get us Christmas presents and didn't know when my birthday was. By no, the way. he didn't. George's birthday is apparently in July. It's not. It's April. <laughs> Every year we get it from. Do you know what, girls? I really relate. Every, everything you said, the whole feeling like a fraud, which you're not. Absolutely not. By the way, totally get that. I've had my dad was he was amazing. Like when he was drunk, he was an absolute arsehole. Like couldn't stand him. I can detach those personalities, but. When he was sober, he was the best. Like I could ring him for advice. We could, I could talk to him about anything. He was just the most kindest, loving person. And I remember once feeling a little bit like that, thinking, because I've been challenged a few times and somebody actually challenged me and said, you know, you're not advocating this right because it's, it's harder than that. And you make out that it's easier when actually it's not this is what happened to me and I remember feeling really bad and really guilty thinking oh god like am I am I making this sound easier than what it is but actually go on sorry (laughs) oh I'm just I think I'm just agreeing I do this I'm agreeing out loud (laughs) is that it's like actually and I think we were conscious of we were conscious that obviously our dad was still alive whilst we wanted to do the first gala and you know what would people think and really he he didn't really understand what it was we were doing I mean am I allowed to swear yeah Yeah. 
So when I, mean, I probably probably not the seed bomb. Oh yeah, what about that? <laughs> I, went, wonder. I know. Thanks for the warning. So I went round just before the actual ga- the first gala, and I sat talking to him. And I think one of my friends rang me about a ticket. So after I got off the phone, he said, "So what's this for then?" So I told him, and he was like, "All right." And what do you get with the ticket? So I told him. He said, "And how much are the tickets?" I said, eight pounds per person." He went, "You robbing bastards!" That's it. That was his. <laughs> so you guys kind of got involved, obviously, while Jed was still alive. Yeah, yep. it sounds like he never really sort of was on not not on board, but sort of hadn't got his head around the whole Nakoa thing. So did he? identify as somebody who had an alcohol addiction no and he he always said that alcohol would never be alcohol is never going to kill him okay in 30 years that's what he said oh my god it's literally exactly the same as my dad my dad um, george has got the punchline for you technically he didn't actually die of being an alcoholic so (laughs) Honestly, he's had the last laugh. He has had the last laugh. So on his death certificate, it's gone down as an accident because he fell over and snapped snapped his tibia. Tibia, yeah. But he had an open wound fracture and he did just did his body just shut down after the surgery that he had to have. So we had to go to coroner's court and as we walked out and they ruled it as an accident, we just literally both looked at each other and went, He was right. It's not <laughs> Alcohol you know actually else, killed him. Do you know what else he did? He told us that his middle name was Patrick. No, Philip. Philip, sorry. Philip. Philip is on his coffin. And it's not. That's not his name. He ain't got a middle name. <laughs> so this is the type of stuff that he did. Just because he's had the last laugh now. <laughs> so I would... It was, he told me mum. So my mom, when my mum and dad first met, he my mum had a middle name. So I think maybe to show off. He wanted a middle name. So he told her that it was Philip. So then my mum's... When it, obviously he passed... We had to speak to funeral directors and stuff, and they all wanted to know his full name. So she said, I'm I'm sure his middle name's Philip. So I've told the coroners, <laughs> the hospital, the funeral director, his middle name is is Philip. And it's and then when I think she dug out uh, marriage certificates and all sorts to find his name, turns out he doesn't have a middle name. So I rang everyone apart from the funeral directors because I completely forgot. So when he's being lowered into the ground, it says Jared P. Moran on his coffin and I'm stood at the graveside laughing my head off. So like really bizarre because obviously we were upset, right? And everyone's upset. It's very somber. And then the next week we just looked and George had nudged me and we were just like, I can't. And then obviously we're laughing because I'm like, he's done it again. But then obviously outsiders wouldn't get and it's a bit like, oh, they're laughing. But mum did come over and smack me and was like, what are you laughing at? <laughs> But we were just like, he's done it again. And this is the type of thing that he did. So even up until kind of 10, 10 minutes before, because it was me, Georgia and my mum that were with him. And I think very peaceful, very relaxed, genuinely don't believe because of how stubborn he was. I genuinely don't believe that he thought that was the end because one of the last things he said was, well, my leg's fixed. Uh, oh, and that's it. A bet on for the Saturday the, as well. The bet was on. I think he'd, he'd done FaceTime with my husband. Just normal even up even right up until the end genuinely don't believe he knew but he had to still get his orders in it doesn't matter how how delicate you are he still had to get all of his orders in didn't he's like i'll be back at home on saturday like you know make sure you put this on and do this and we were like right okay a nurse come over to take blood off it was it to take blood yeah it was to take blood off him and he's lay there with an oxygen mask on literally cannot move bed bound the lot and he turned around she said oh i'm just going to take some blood off you and he turned around and he went all right dracula this is the night. Yeah. It was really bizarre. 
it was a very bizarre couple of days. I mean, I'm not going to, he would find this funny and he did get annoyed at me. But when I first arrived at his, after he, he'd be bent down, he said to get post and he felt his leg snap. Now, this is something else that I've learned. I didn't realise alcohol does this damage to your bone density. You know, mm. you don't actually realise like the, the it's not just everyone thinks obviously your organs, but actually what does it do to your bones? So it's like it's been a massive it does so much to people though. Like obviously your dad with his bones, like my dad was having mini strokes. His thing he's had these two fingers had he the tendons had contracted so they were kind of permanently closed and that's because of it he had like these white fingernails he was bloated like affects so much and he had coronary artery disease which was because of it he had this floppy heart valve because of it everything that kind of attributed to my dad's death goes straight back to long term I don't think I don't think I know when I know people talk about it, but like I say, apart from the obvious things that people associate with alcohol, I don't think I remember us sat in that hospital and we were like, why are we even here for bone density? And it was only then that someone decided to explain because he's never had a bone density appointment in his life. Ironic, he had the bone density scan on the Wednesday and by the Friday he died from snapping his leg. We were like, and then it makes you wonder, doesn't it? Like if you would have known beforehand. But I remember getting to his. And I just remember being like, Dad, I was like, you're like a woodlouse, what are you doing? What's got, what are you doing here? You're on your back. And he's like, shut up laughing at me. And he was, but I genuinely, because he, because he always had a joke about everything. Like genuinely, I did not expect like he's, he's bone to be out. Like it was, it was pretty bad to be fair. And obviously. You- I didn't know that happened from um, alcohol. Never realised. Didn't. Genuinely didn't. Uh, blah, blah, can't speak. Genuinely didn't. Um goes to show doesn't it but sometimes the signs can be really subtle as well with my dad he had acute liver failure like his liver completely packed up but he didn't really look very yellow don't get me wrong he had a yellow tinge but I remember the funeral director because when I went to see him she did like she went in and checked to see how he looked to see whether it was all right for me to go in and she went to me really casually she went oh considering how he died he doesn't look very yellow and he didn't like but even a scan before he died went through a CAT scan and they said, oh, his liver seems to be fine. But on his death certificate, it's cirrhosis of the liver. So it's like, it's a real, sometimes it can just come on so suddenly and really just be really, really subtle that you just wouldn't. Yeah. And that's what I think is so scary about alcohol is that you don't realise. Yeah, it is one of the worst addictions to have. One of the worst. I think, I think it is because it's so socially acceptable and it's so available like if i I want to have a mimosa in the morning nobody's going to really frown at me for doing it no no i would right i don't (laughs) know if you were going to have a mimosa or whatever no one would bat an eyelid really would they like no and if you kind of had a supermarket delivery at seven o'clock in the morning and it had vodka and wine in or if you went to a supermarket that was open 24 hours and bought alcohol nobody would really no question that's that's what um, I had this argument with people a lot like people will say that I don't know a drug dealer or whatever the worst people in the world it's like no actually supermarkets are because it's you don't see me protesting outside Asda because it's selling alcohol because it's literally mm. it's available to everyone it's accepted in it now don't get me wrong it doesn't mean I'm not saying anyone that has alcohol is a problem I just think no one's I don't I just don't think everyone's as aware as they should be 
Yeah, I agree. I also don't think people know how to not cross the line. It's about not blurring that line. And if people don't know how to not blur the line, then that's when the problems start. Yeah. I mean, I've openly said so with so with me, so my husband, so his mum, his mum died of cirrhosis. Well, it was liver cirrhosis. However, again, she'd taken herself into hospital for help and then died of pneumonia in hospital. So actually, she, she did try to go in and, and, and sort herself out. She knew like enough was enough. And then sadly, it obviously turned. And I can't even remember why I'm saying this now. She does this. I forgot. I forgot she why does. I it. Oh, so I, but I've openly said to my husband that I know, I think I must have a trait because I know if I'm left, I know I'm an adult, but if I'm left unattended, I could quite, no, I don't mean it that way. I just mean like, if I didn't have someone there just, just like re- reining me in a little bit, I think I, I would be very similar to my dad. I think it's easy to just think, yeah, it's all right. I know I've yeah. Personality trait as well, 100%. My dad always used to say that he had the gene, like he used to believe it was hereditary kind of gene, like a faulty gene thing. Mm. And I can, I can see like you girls, I have the potential to do that. So I don't drink anymore because actually it just removes a lot of stress from my life. But I can't even put clip on a bag of kettle chips to be fair. Like if they're open, I'm going to do them up like. I'm just not a moderate person in that respect. I can be quite impulsive, and that's exactly what my dad was. Yeah, like. it was like you know when you can see it. So, yeah, I think whereas whereas my husband he 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 teaches he teaches like Brazilian Jiu Jitsu with kids, so a lot of the time he's either training or whatever. So it's not really something that he's bothered with. So because he's able to see it, he's always a bit like, right, Jess, just you know, slow down. Yeah, that's your twelfth one. Behave. <laughs> I've got a similar personality type. I've got ADHD, so I'm a go hard or go home kind of person. My husband always would say that to me when she's he... a she's a go hard or go home, or she might just forget and not phone you back kind of person. That as well, I'm honest. Or I'll go into a serious hyper fix, real impulsive. Like I'm going to do this. To... I've literally just set up a blog right out of nowhere. I had a website created in 48 hours. <laughs> That's me. I told you. When I had my assessment, because I think I've got my dad's personality, I'm prone. I'm prone to addiction. I know I am, uh, and I choose not to. And don't get me wrong. I'm not 100% sober, but there's something about it that I've got this huge resentment towards. So, it doesn't affect me the same as how it affects other people. So I can take it, and then I won't go past a certain point with it, or I'll become really resentful of it, or quite. A, little bit like or it'll make me feel sick or I'll go straight to the hangover rather than the fun bit so to me it's one of those take it or leave it um but then there's other things I can get really fixated on and they'll be real like and it might change one like this week it's the dopamine hit hasn't gone from the website yet and I keep thinking oh this could be like we could be onto something here this could stick (laughs) because I've not it's not gone but there's other stuff Ames will tell you you well you need we did a load of podcasts and then basically we did no podcast for six months and now we're doing a podcast a week. Who knows where this will end, guys? This could be the last one for a year. I'm just very, very chilled out about it. <laughs> I love that. If it happens, it happens. But the guy who diagnosed me with ADHD, I said to him, I went at the end, I went, just out of curiosity, I went, is this hereditary? And he went, it's as, as hereditary as height. I went, oh, so pretty hereditary then. And he went, yeah. And I went, 
I'm only asking because I think my dad might have had it. And he went, from what you've told me in your assessment, it could well be that your dad might have had it. <laughs> so, and he went to me, he said, ADHD doesn't cause addiction. It makes you more prone to addiction because of your personality type and how you manage your emotions and how things are heightened and all of this stuff. So it's just really interesting, like listening to it. And I thought, oh, goodness, like this has given me so much more empathy towards my dad. And now I look back and think, all right, okay, so he was dealing with stuff. And it's very obvious he had it, dealing with stuff that probably didn't know how to manage or handle. And I just, I know I say this because listening to you guys talk about your dad, Jed, and listening to Amy talk about her dad, Steve, and like all their little personality types, they've all got similar, like little, what's the word? Sim similarities. Everyone. We said this for a bit. The yeah. amount of times that we were taking for assessments and the the assessments would be obviously to do with his condition. However, we I used to frantically scribble notes on the little tick sheet you had to do about him because it's trying to get people to see a bit past like the physicality, what you can see. Because I was like, he definitely had oh, yeah. a lot of mental health troubles, whatever they might be. Yeah, definitely, definitely artistic in some way, mm -hmm. very particular. So lots of different things that we we sort of started to figure out. We were like, actually, and when we say you lived in a, a dream world, you know, he used to tell us he wrote the script for Coronation Street. And we, you had to fully believe him. You had to fully just humour him. And EastEnders. And EastEnders. Yeah, he did EastEnders. My daughter's christening. You know, I'm, my, I'm, so me, husband, we were like 17 when we had our daughter, when we did a christening. It's, it's hard enough anyway, we're doing this christening. And my dad's like, save me two places at the front. Why? Because I've got Bruce coming and Mel Gibson. Bruce and Mel are coming. And it was Bruce Willis and Mel Gibson. And I'm like, Bruce. Oh, I thought it was Bruce Forsyth. I was really excited. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. And at the time, it was like, are you actually going to leave two places at the front? And I'm like, I fully am. Because if that makes him feel better, because he's walked into church and them two places are there for Mel and Bruce it's going to be smooth because he's going to sit there and he's going to be fine. But nobody, nobody would, nobody gets it. So I'm like, yeah. there's definitely, we tried to, we tried to kind of maybe unpick a little bit with him, but he, he didn't want to. Cause I think back kind of, he grew up in what the early sixties. So I think back at that time, you just, you just didn't unpack anything like that. Did you? You guys well, say it's just easier to go along with it. Right. Like you've just said, it was easier to save those two seats. It was easier for, me to kind of just let stuff ride because I've always said it was like having a third toddler yeah yeah because it yeah. was just easier to kind of go like he'd phone in the middle of the night and tell me he was going to sell up his flat and he was going to move near my brother and I and it was easier to just go yeah okay that sounds great and then hang up then go well of course you're not going to do that put a spanner in the works yeah yeah and I think most of us can identify with that to some extent because there was no point arguing too much with it, even if you knew it was yeah. absolute BS, because you knew that the following day he'd moved on or forgotten. Yeah. 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 And actually you had to sort of pick the battles. Tell them about the flight to Florida. He was gonna he phoned in the middle of the night and he was going to for his 70th take we were all gonna go to Florida and then he was gonna drop me and my brother as adults and our kids at Disney and he was going to go and get his private pilot's license and then he was going to fly us home that sounds like, like a dad. dad 
And then there's so many spanners in the world. One, he had a criminal record, so he wasn't even getting to Florida in the first place. Two, I wouldn't have even, I wouldn't have even got on the back of a pedal bike with him, let alone an aeroplane. So I did sort of say, well, I'm probably not entirely comfortable with that. And then he just spanned me with kind of safety records of private planes and stuff for several days. And then sent me pictures of the plane that he was going to fly. So, yeah, I mean, it was just ridiculous. It was just insanity. But easier to just go along with it. Exactly. exactly. You know, Wrangles, after, after my mum and dad separated, we went to live with my auntie. And I remember him ringing us. And he was like, oh, I mean, he was going to, where, where's Elvis from? Like, what's it oh, called? Oh, Graceland. Yeah, yeah, that's the yeah, one. Yeah, so he was going. And we were like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, he got off the phone. I ring him back. And there's no foreign dial tone. And he's like, he's so, and I was like, Dad, you, your ringtone's the same. And then that's it. They get angry. So I think yes. you've done that a few times. You just learn to just be like, oh, really? Are you there? You know, we could only see him every other Wednesday mm. because that's when the flights from New York were. Yeah. Because he was, he did a stint in New York. Uh, so, yeah. So we it were like, only, right. It was only six months ago. He's asked me to, I was in work. He said, what time are you working till? I was like, I don't know, Dad, why? What's up? He went, well, I'm going to need a lift to the airport. I said, why? He was like, because I'm picking Sandra Bullock up from the airport. Oh, She's yeah, staying at my... Sandra. Sandra. I went, can't you just get a taxi? I think she can afford it. <laughs> yeah, Sandra. You know what, though? It is so hard, isn't it? Because it's almost like this level of delusional, like, they're delusional, essentially, which, and there's some funny stories, and we've, we've all got, like, I could, honestly, so many from my dad as well, but... I think it gets to a point where it becomes dangerous. I remember at the end with my dad and I kept saying to him, gone in there and he was curled up in a ball and he had like this, he did have a yellow tinge to him. But like I said earlier on, it weren't anything like, was something that you'd look and think, is he, isn't he? And then he was shaking, his belly was bloated. And I went, dad, I'm going to ring an ambulance because I think you've got liver failure. And he shouted at me, swore at me. I'm not getting in the ambulance. I'm absolutely fine. I've got mercury poisoning. I went, what? You went, my tooth. I've got old mercury fillings and I've got mercury poisoning. And he, he was that convinced he had mercury poisoning that he had my husband take him to the dentist, went to the dentist and the, the dentist did all his checks. And he was like, you've definitely not got mercury poisoning. He's like, I've got mercury poisoning. This is why I'm in so much pain. He wasn't. He was He was dying. <laughs> but he was so adamant he had mercury poisoning that you couldn't argue with him. Like you could not like reason with him and I'm sitting there thinking oh, no this is definitely not right but because we've been in that situation so many times before with other things and funny stuff and stuff that you just learn to agree with and go along with you don't ever think it's going to actually happen where you're right or they're going to die or something like that you just think won't happen he'll be fine next week will be something different and it's it's that constant I suppose they live in their own reality and we're sucked into that reality. And then actually real reality around us can become distorted for us growing up with it. So how did you like, how, like just listening to your perspective, it's just so interesting because you've got this, like your dad sounds really fun and really like he was a really like a good laugh to be around. I can imagine everybody absolutely loved him, but behind closed doors to you, it would have been like, this is really yeah to manage and live with probably one of the things we were really conscious about originally when we started to talk a bit more is like our, our mum will say to us but like you were all right and it's like the point is is we were we were all right because we had you in the house if we hadn't have had 
would have been very different if maybe we didn't live with our mum directly or maybe my mum wasn't strong as strong as she was because I think she I think she protected us from a lot of yeah. it so from the things things were hard at times especially when when you get older and you kind of look in sort of retrospect and I'm like when when my mum will have got paid she had to quickly get that money out of the bank before it got taken by my dad but at time it would be taken by my dad and we'd be in Blackpool spending that money and we'd be in Blackpool for a week so as kids we thought it was great but actually as an adult looking back like my, like our mum literally had it she had, she had it really tough and then it gets to a point where you had, she had to make a decision on you know the, the, the kids of this age now we probably need to separate she's like because I needed to protect your head she said so it gets to a point where she had to make that decision and I mean even after that you know what for the past since since then she she was still very hands-on making sure that he had something to eat you know did he have his gas and electric she'd you know he, he still would ring her first before he would ring us and it's almost like in his head it's almost like it had paused so he would still talk to me like I'm a child as such or you know not forgetting that I actually have I've got two children on my own I've been married for like 11 years it did that was irrelevant like he would it's like it's almost like he'd frozen in time a little bit so I think we probably because we had I say say we had each other but it was very different because it's like seven years between us but it was it was it was our mum definitely that's probably what's kept us sane a little bit I think, I think extended family and stuff do find it really, really tough yeah. when you start talking about it because, and I've definitely experienced this, I don't blame anybody for the fact that my dad was addicted to alcohol. I don't blame anybody for the fact that my brother and I had to deal with a lot of stuff because my parents divorced as well. I don't have any resentment in that respect, but I can see why I can understand why people would feel guilty I don't want them to and I don't need them to but I can understand why they do and when you become more vocal and you become more visible talking about your experience and trying to raise awareness that inevitably does mean that you say things that you probably haven't told people before or experience you've had or feelings you've had and then people feel bad that they didn't know. But the reality is when I was going through it, I didn't tell anybody how crappy it was. And I don't think I knew how I felt at the time because I was so busy sort of, you know, firefighting and just getting through it. I didn't really have time to think about it until after my dad had died. Yeah. No, I agree with that. I agree with that. I think it's very difficult, like you say, I remember being in school a few times and one of my best friends at the time would be like, oh, I'm coming to your house for tea. I'm like, are you? And my dad had, my dad had rang her and invited her for tea. Not me. You know, like, he didn't get my chippy order. But again, he thought that that was him being fun and a bit, whereas my friends would think, oh, that's amazing. But it, it actually really wind me up. It, it, bugged me, it bugged me that I'd come home from school and I'd have a few friends sat in my house waiting for me. Any other kid would think, ah, oh, this is great. You know, my dad's just letting all my mates in. But actually, it was really annoying. So it, it has been, we have we have had to be quite, I think we've had to be quite careful on how we yeah. talk, I think. Sorry, I keep jumping in. No, it's fine. Well, I can't remember what I was going to say. Okay, she's not way around, in it? I don't know. I think we've had to be quite careful because I think conscious of, I think, I think my mum also felt really sad. Like my mum was heartbroken a few months back when my dad passed away. But then also at the same time, it was because she also felt 
she also felt a fraud because she was like I I obviously divorced I made a decision not to not to be in the same house as him anymore or married to him I haven't actually got a right to be upset but she was she was devastated and we were like you've spent near enough every day still trying to look after him and still trying to fix things so, so you are going to feel like that I don't know I think it's definitely it's helped me talk about it I mean I can't stop talking clearly look I keep doing it I just keep going on to something else but it's, it's definitely helped me I don't think I realized maybe how much I wanted to talk about it so um, did you ever see it as did you always think your dad was ill or did you see it that he was choosing to do it so I have got very mixed feelings about that my mum would absolutely have pushed she's very careful with what she does and doesn't say she very firmly believes he chose yeah. the path he took essentially you know she would use the term he drank himself to death yeah. she doesn't she, I think she carries quite a lot of anger and resentment and she does believe that he could have stopped I think let's hope she doesn't listen to this I think with us I think he he definitely chose I think my teenage it. years yeah I probably resented him more like, you know, obviously being a teenager, you're so embarrassing and all that. I think I resented him more and thought in that process, uh, in, in that time frame there, that it was more of a, you're choosing that over us. Whereas when I've obviously understood it more and realised, no, actually it was, because I was the one, because you was working, I was the one that did the majority of the hospital appointments. How many times did I change that? bag that he had like anything that he needed doing I trimmed his toenails like anything that he needed doing that was me that did that so then I think once I understood the fact that it wasn't he wasn't choosing it he he genuinely did not believe that he had a an addiction which then made me realize no actually this is an illness because you don't even know you don't even understand it yourself yeah yeah I think I don't know maybe I think we're we're different not diff we were a little bit different me and Georgia differ a little bit because I think maybe because when I was younger I had probably seven years with him completely and then then obviously Georgia came along and probably seeing the him over the edge well yeah you probably did (laughs) but I think growing up and having like one type of relationship with him it was almost like having another dad so it's like I don't I don't resent him for it don't resent him for it because I do agree with George where I don't think he deliberately set out to do it but openly you would see it and you would be like you've literally chosen to do that rather than like he would not come for Sunday dinner at my house with the kids because I didn't want him to have a drink so it's things like that you're choosing to not come and see your grandkids and sit and have a meal so at least we know you're there because I won't I, I don't want you having a like an alcoholic drink while you eat because why can't we just get through two hours so I probably started to get I don't know. I, I probably got a bit annoyed. I think I think I buried my head a little bit. I think you was. I think you did resent him a, a lot because you did see seven good years with dad. Yeah, I didn't. Yeah. Yeah. He taught you to read and write and all that. Oh yeah, I didn't a, get any of that. Cleverest four year old going. It's like I, I mean we did like we did it. We had a good time, but then I think it's like it was then like having two different dads. So I think maybe like love him to bits. I don't think I don't think he ever meant to do it. It's just a shame, and I wish. I wish at some point he might have had an epiphany. I mean, for someone that had the last rice three times in his life before he eventually passed away, you think at some point this light bulb might go off and then it didn't. I think the longest we did was a year. Yeah. I think we I think we did a year where he didn't he didn't drink and he, he was amazing. And 
you know one minor inconvenience and maybe your mind not being as strong as it could be that was it straight straight back in sound like yeah, so you had it you had a period with your dad didn't you I never had that he never ever stopped I do yeah your dynamic just between you both is very similar to me and my middle sister so I was the one like that would I would always fight him I was always like trying to worm my way in and try and talk him around it's always trying to talk him around and trying different tactics so I'll give him a little bit of tough love or I might go in really empathetic or I might go in really angry whereas my sister was like you Georgia like she'd do all of his appointments she'd take him to work she'd fill out his time sheet she'd do his ironing and my mum again was they'd split up they'd separated but only because my mum couldn't handle his drinking but she still paid for stuff around the house for him she still checked in she was still there holding his hand at the end um so it's a very like the similar dynamics and I don't know about you guys but I always say to people I don't I suppose I don't know the other end of it but I sometimes often wish that he would have been just an arsehole all the time because then it might have been easier to have gotten over it and walked away but when they've got two different personalities and you get to see them sober and you get to see what they're really like and you have that time with them before they become an alcoholic like I had that me and my dad used to be joint at the hip he used to take me everywhere he was a builder he had me sitting on bags of cement wheeling me around a trolley in wicks and on a JCB digger with a hard hat on like I had some best memories with him and my sisters didn't have that um, so you see two different sides to them and it's really hard because you love one side and then the other side you just think you're an absolute arsehole you're horrible and you're constantly in conflict with each other so how how do you kind of manage that because I find it really tough I think I'm more hard, hard face I don't I've I've got thick skin whereas you haven't so but it, I don't know how my dad knew the difference between me and you and how I had the thick skin but whenever he would go on an abusive tirade and I'm, I mean he weren't bad but when he used to be abused like verbally abusive oh he's called me arse it's told me I had AIDS once so he would do that to me whereas he would never I don't think he's ever I just got the silent treatment so he'd just completely ignore me and I think he did that so he didn't do what he did to Georgia so he would completely just blank me for a week but at the same time like ring Georgia send her a I mean, and then at the best times, we'd get, we'd ring our mum and go, oh, yes, on us both for something. And I'm like, I'm 34, Dad. <laughs> Stop ringing me mum and telling me off. But I feel yeah. like in that sense, I think I'm more thick-skinned. Like, yeah. I think I can I can take feelings out of things and be like, right, this is the situation. This is what I need to do. Like, forget, I didn't. forget the abuse that he's just given me and the fact that he's told me I'm going to be alone forever. That's another one. He's going to be, I'm going to be alone forever take all that out of it I can get on with whatever it is like I don't I don't resent him for it because that's all I've known like, whereas I think I I think I was more annoyed with him because I would take it personally I'm like why are you ignoring me why are you doing that all we do is love you this is all we do so yeah I think I definitely I'm definitely the soft oh, and he yeah, knew that he, he knew that so yeah and actually thinking about it with the kids whenever we got into a debate with either my eldest so my eldest she's nearly 18 and then my youngest he's 12 if they'd ever get into a debate with these these two just black and white would call him out for anything and then sometimes he'd be like yeah yeah you don't need to bring the kids today and it's because he did, he knew they'd just call him out for something <laughs> like that was quite funny watching them two watching them two are like 
like my youngest being like, Grandpa, so what did you do that for then anyway? It's like, why, why, why? you know, have you not got an headache? You know, like, and he'd just ask him stuff and it's dead innocent, but also with a bit of an emotive because like he's not daft. And then my dad- I always used to think my dad was, when he saw me with my kids, it made him feel quite guilty about the sort of parent he'd been. I always got that sense of, actually, that's kind of what you could have had. And I am definitely not kind of mum of the year material at all. But sort of the relationship was quite different. I don't think dad felt like that. No. I don't think. I don't, I don't think dad articulated his feelings like that. Is that the word? Is that the right word? Yeah. I don't think he did that with his feelings. I think he genuinely just lived day to day in his head and in in his own little world. And I don't think he was he was aware of anyone around him. Like if you turned up that day, then fine. But I don't think if you'd have turned up with the kids un- unannounced, he wouldn't have. It's what it, it is. It's what it is. You'd just be there. Right. Like, like, I don't think. But he'll open and say like he loved him. Like loved him space. But it's just it wasn't. It was. It was going to affect the horse racing, you know, having a drink and NCIS. doing this, doing this, NCIS. Oh, even the day, even the day that I went, he's telling me not to clean up the hall because it's a crime scene. And I'm like, who's crime? Dad, you've, you've fallen and broken your leg. I was like, whose crime is this? And he said, well, they, they need it. And I'm like, you've been watching too much NCIS. You just need to clean it up. So, th- so this is it. If, it. if it interfered with his routine, you most likely wouldn't be interested in it. And that was... Yeah, that was pro- probably more hard for me to take. You yeah. used to just be like, oh, whatever. But I used to get really wound up over it. I'm like, how dare you? <laughs> or like sometimes, I remember, so there's absolutely, just a disclaimer, there's nothing wrong if anyone wants to be a housekeeper, right, in a hotel. There's nothing wrong with it. However, the few times I'd be in the car to work and I'd give him a ring and I'd have chit-chat. And the amount of times he used to tell me off because he's like, why are you in the car? It's the middle of the day, you've not got rooms to clean go and clean your rooms and I'm like I'm not a housekeeper dad and he's done because you work at the hotel yeah and all he could associate is so this is the type of thing you did he'd be like oh, go and get back go and go oh, go and clean some bedrooms will you and I'm like dad, that's not what I do okay <laughs> but if I did it's totally fine but it, this is the type of thing and it's because you've interrupted something he's doing so I, when I come up in a couple of weeks to the gala and stay at the hotel if my room's not clean you blame right, me. I'll ask for you you can blame me yeah it was right <laughs> long too busy with some hours so tell me about the gala. I'm really excited about this. So it's in three weeks. So you did your first one last year, last February. That was the first. It was last March. March. So that was the first Northern Gala with the proceeds going to Nicola. And it was about six, seven thousand pounds. Just 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 over six. Amazing. If we can get to ten this year, then we'll feel good. Oh yeah, you haven't met my husband. We won't be from him. <laughs> So, and the second one is in three weeks' time, the end of half term, isn't it? Yeah. Hotel football in Manchester. Yeah. Tell me all about it so I can get excited. You go. Okay. So, so last year, so last year, so when Georgia first started and sent the messages, it was like November time, I think maybe October, November time. So when we decided we wanted to get involved and it's like, what can we do? And to be honest, I like an idea of something and I don't really know what to do with it after that so I was like what is it that we're good at between us so we were thinking right we, we could do we could do a gala we could do an event so I think I don't directly kind of work in events anymore but I was like I've got a hotel I could probably use a space they'll probably help us out and then you you have a wide network of people that might have been able to help with like prizes things like that and you know want to get involved so we thought well that between us that's probably something we could pull off 
which was good because we said we'd do it in March, which left us about four months. And I don't know. Really. I actually don't know what we're thinking. And to be honest, I remember speaking to Piers and Hillary and I remember them just being like, oh yeah, okay. You know, and I know in the head, they probably thought we were slightly mad. And then when we got there on the day, they were like, I don't know what we were expecting, but like, this is actually, they like, this is amazing, basically. I don't want to, I don't want to sound like I'm being uh, like, do it because it looked absolutely incredible. yeah it did but they were like I don't know what we were expecting but it kind of wasn't this and it was like all oh, right and in my head I'm like them tablecloths aren't right this isn't right over here but anyway so we did I think we had a hundred and we had 111 people in total which side note our dad used to always say one 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 gone so when we ended up at 111 we were like brilliant anyway <laughs> so we had 111 was we had kind of a few like we had like a few speakers like all kind of related to Nicole in certain ways and it was it was a really it was a really nice it was a really nice way of getting people together now we did have we did have a couple of people come forward beforehand saying if you're doing a gala for a charity that supports children of alcoholics is it right that part of the package you could have a glass of wine so my head and we were thinking about it and we were like we'd given the choice of when you book your ticket you can either have that alcohol you can have like alcoholic or non-alcoholic so it kind of made a bit of a turning point for the hotel because naturally you don't always by default think let's have non-alcoholic prosecco let's have non-alcoholic wine however if you don't want to drink you don't you might not want to just have orange juice in a glass you might want it to look like an adult drink if you like so that kind of got and a side note, that got a separate conversation going with the hotel and what it is that we do. How, how do we be more inclusive? But then in response to a couple of things, we were like, the idea is, with the greatest respect, it wasn't to have 111 of our dad in the room. It was to try and reach a whole different network who were used to going to galas, who were used to going to raise money for charity and just trying to put a spotlight on Nakoa. This relates back to, though, what I said before. It's not about, it's about not uh, knowing not to blur the line that every adult in that room knows their own mind and knows that actually if you've got a problem you don't go near the alcohol and if you if you if you're okay with alcohol then you can drink it and not blur the line like yeah. it's just learning not to cross that line that was what yeah, I... it's a really difficult one but i think as a charity the thoughts and the thoughts is that we're not there or Nakoa isn't there to demonize alcohol yeah exactly. that's not there are plenty of other institutions and charities and organizations that you can educate yourself around yeah. kind of physical harm and about your own addiction. That is absolutely not what Nicola is there for. Nicola is there to support a child of any age who has been affected by a parent's drinking. Yeah. Which, so, which is why in my head, I'm like, actually, no. So there's this particular person. We had a we had a few words because I was like, actually these 100 and odd people that would go and buy a ticket to go to, for example, like a Maggie's charity dinner or a Christie's, I want them to be like, do you know what? I'm going to go to Nicola because that was really good. I understand the charity and they support people. And it worked. Yeah. It was a really good evening. Uh, this time round in three weeks, we have gone bigger. So we have gone bigger. So we are, we are hoping, we are hoping that we finish on about 150 in the room, which for year two, I am reasonably happy with. There's always room for more, but it's fine. But I think we will end up around that once we do kind of final confirmations. 
So this time round, we're going to try and make it a bit more, a little bit more interactive. So rather than having lots, like a few separate speakers, we're doing a panel so we can do it. So it's a little bit more engaging, maybe try sort of bring in the audience a little bit. So we're trying to make it a bit more interactive so everyone feels that they can understand the charity a bit more. I think one thing we did do is we started doing our welcome speech, didn't we? And then we oh, have yeah. to scrap that now because now the we've world change has changed. We've got we've yeah we've got to. It we've... would have been our bonding sessions have been at the hospital this year, but now it's going to have to be something else. Yeah, yeah. We have to we have to mix it up, but we are hoping. So th- this time round, though, I think previously I did wonder if people maybe thought it was like a hotel football thing. And as much as they do support me, it was pretty much we just wanted to get our hands in and try and raise some money. So I think this time round. There have been a few more people that have taken tables because I think they understand it's not it's not an organisation doing it. It's it's, it's two awesome. people that just wanted to try and raise a bit more awareness in the north, uh, which which I do I do think it'll be a good evening. I mean we've got some nice entertainment. Um, what are you wearing? Well, this is the bit. I'm very good at this. This is the bit. I have got like a red. I've got like a like a dark red dress. of like a velvet. I always go for velvet because I feel like it helps around the stomach area. You know, when you want to eat. So I was going I've to... seen photos of you two from last year and you both looked incredible. I did the whole event, all of it. Like I'm gutted I can't be there this year. It's like literally two days before my husband's birthday. And yeah, and I've already what? been twice this month, going away twice from the family. So I think, oh God, if I, I won't be able I won't get away with it again. But next year, hundred percent. You're gonna put another one on next year, aren't you? Yeah, this is I think we're trying to we're trying to make it a yearly thing. I think if we can keep building the support, I think if anything, it just gets people still talking about the charity. Like I'd said to my general manager, I think it might have been might have been yesterday. I'd sent him a message about the parliamentary lecture because this time round we're we're, we're going to come to Parliament. So we missed. Oh, that. you're coming! It's yeah. so good. I don't like to talk about it. I have been before. Well, well. You missed out last year because I think I think when we we found out about it, we already had stuff on and we couldn't change it. We work so this time around, it's like we're in. It's like my GM's really supportive of that, and then he's like, right, well, what can we do? What can we do aside from the dinner to help continue talking about Nakoa? And it's just that. So it's like on a match day when we do auctions in our suite, he's like, can we not raise money for Nakoa there? So it's just trying to get people thinking, or you know. Just think it's hugely important that there's a little bit more conversation about it up north so I know the contact centre and everything is around Bristol but I'm like as soon as we went out last year especially in the hospitality industry there are people that have come forward to me to say how they've been affected by it and have never spoken about it so I'm like yeah that's the maddest thing as soon as you start talking it's like this, this you'll get messages thing. or somebody will sidle up to you or and I'm like yeah. that's just what that's that's literally what it's about it's like just to try and get people to continue talking about the charity and so we've still about... got tickets available okay, yeah. yeah so we do still have some space you we, I think we're doing a cutoff about the first of February if we can basically yeah. so the dessert on the evening mm. should you be telling everyone I don't know right go on so the dessert on the evening, I won't I won't actually spoil it, but the dessert on the evening is a bit of a nod to our dad. So our chef at the hotel, I was like, do you remember when you did such and such? And he's like, right. And I'm like, do you reckon you can do it for the gala in uh, February? And he was like, Jess, I did that for 20 people. And I was like, I know, but you could do it for 150. If you've done it for 20, we can do that. And he was just like, do you know what? 
fine. So at the minute, at the minute, I'm not in his good books, but he's not said no. He's willing to he's willing to do it. So so again, there's lots of little things that we've tried to add in just to make it. I don't know, just a bit bit more of a nod. Yeah, that's that's such a lovely idea. And again, just like reinforcing the whole charity thing, like if anybody's listening and they think, okay, how can I help? I can't attend the event, but what can I do to help? Corporate sponsorship, huge. Like I, one of my my job is worked in the charity, not for profit sector, uh, consulting and mentoring. And I always say to businesses, Oh, look at the tax benefits of donating to charity and what you can do. And that's how you can help. And charities like NACOA aren't government funded. That was stripped. So the funding that NACOA rely on is completely from generous donations. Yeah, yeah, literally. And when the guys told us last year that the money raised at the gala helped to cover costs for Q1, like operating costs for the charity. And I was like, in my head, I'm like, oh, could have done more but actually for the well, first we kept one, it open for a year didn't we well we said a year did they say a year yeah we said it would keep it open for a year so that was well. so this time round I think this time last time it was more about our kind of journey and how we'd got involved this time round we want to talk more <coughs> sorry <coughs> oh my gosh everything else we want to talk more about the charity <laughs> sorry Georgia <laughs> I want to talk no <laughs> we want to talk more about charity so for example um, kind of what we would need to raise to do certain activities within the charity. I've just had a right meltdown there, aren't I? That's good. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So in 2021, basically the government cut their entire strategy, which provided dedicated support for children of alcoholics. And it's all quite complicated, but essentially at the moment, as it stands, NACOA receives absolutely no government funding and is funded entirely through charitable and voluntary donations but the way they justify that and say to people the way they justify that the government is well we have given x amount of money to local authority for them to allocate to addiction services now like it coming from a commissioning background yes that's true they are still putting money into addiction services but that is completely down to local authority and where that funding goes so the majority of local authorities are putting it into addiction services whereas children of alcoholics and bear in mind there's one in five children affected and that's not to mention all the adults children the adult children children now so there's one in five people affected and NACOA is the only charity that are doing anything to support the children which is crazy it's like someone said to us why do you want to do something like this and we were just like well why not you want to focus your energy some you like you want to focus the energy somewhere so why not why not Kind of channel it into trying to support other children like we we were really fortunate that we had our mum in the household but not everyone's not everyone is in that situation or has been as lucky so it's like if we can just focus our energy on supporting there's like a whole well 2.6 million children so it's like a whole generation and so. those children are ringing up nakoa they use the they use that line when when and this oh, i get so passionate about it that my words don't come out properly they use that line when they don't have a parent to tell that they've got an exam or they don't have a parent to tell, oh, I've passed this or I'm doing this or I'm doing that. They use that line to speak to somebody to parent them. That's essentially how it's used. If the, if it's not used for that reason, it's used for help and support and how can I get guidance? What do I need to do? Where do I go? How do I get the help? And all of all of these kind of things, it's a starting point for children and adult children to access the support that they need or if 
people want to use it for that reason to ring somebody up and just talk to. I've heard of uh, volunteers on the phone line reading bedtime stories. They don't have that parent there to do that for them. So that is where the money goes. That's where the fund, that's what is being funded. And that's a vital resource and a vital lifeline to initiate support in somebody's life. I think. It's- yeah. So just for some figures, because, you know, I love a figure. So the helpline receives in excess of 30,000 calls per year. So obviously we're now at a point where alcohol specific deaths are at an all time high, which obviously the death being the end point but you've got more people than ever, probably dependent on alcohol. So uh, again, just to, there was a piece that appears, who's the communications director, wrote last week for the Institute of Alcohol Studies. So just to put it into context, it says, one in five children in the UK are thought to live with a hazardous drinker. Children, young people and adults growing up in these households face adverse consequences from mental health issues, poor performance at school, disordered eating, getting in trouble with the police and developing their own addictive behaviours. Many witness domestic abuse, experience abuse or are forced into taking on caring roles for their parents and siblings. And half of these children keep it totally secret from the outside world. Without early intervention like that which NACOA provides, these children are much more likely to present later on in other areas of welfare justice or NHS waiting lists. Any savings made by cutting support for such children is a totally false economy. 100% I agree. Wow. That's pretty powerful that, isn't it? Makes me a bit emotional. (laughs) But that is so, it's really wrong. You know, it's great that we have so many people so passionate about fundraising. And obviously the gala is just one thing that raises an incredible amount of money. But it's not right that we're all having to do that. It's not right that as a charity or as an organisation, we're totally reliant on people who've been through this. You know, we're all four of us sitting here. We all know exactly what it's like. And I wouldn't have it any other way but to be kind of part of the charity and do the things I do, but with no government funding. 2.6 million children in the UK. If it was anything else, there would be support for them. Mm. And of course, those 2.6 million children turn into people like us. And we're all sitting here and we're chatting. And we've made, I think, I can speak for us all, we've made really conscious and positive choices to look after ourselves and to use our experience to help others. But loads of people aren't like us. Mm. Loads of people cannot do the things that we do because it has affected them in a different way. Not better, not worse, but just different. And they still need help. It's not like you get to 18 and you're an adult and you forget about the fact you had an alcohol dependent parent. For me, the worst part of my dad's addiction was probably from about 22 up until he died when I was 41. And those two. I not, no, I don't look it, guys. Um, <laughs> those two. Don't all jump in. Those 2.6 million children are children that we know of. Mm. Bear in mind that a lot of families and people hide their alcohol addiction. So it's probably higher, which is really sad. I found interesting was I mean interesting is that even the right word it's probably probably saddening I think there's there's a number of charities that we have especially here in in Manchester and and it looks at it looks at poverty it looks at child poverty it looks at how people are living etc and I'm like I wonder how much of that correlates to this so it's like actually 
there's a lot of places that will support certain charities and don't get me wrong they're all fantastic but then I'm like something like COA needs to be in the spotlight that much more because it's like how much how much does this how much do you end at poverty I think it's one in four in Manchester children are, are in poverty in some way but if one in five have a parent or guardian that's dependent on alcohol it's sure there's got to be a correlation somewhere so I don't know why I don't know why there's there's not more uproar about it I feel like it's because so you've got obviously your MPs anyone in the whole of the UK they all don't because alcohol is so available to people they don't think someone who's very narrow-minded which a lot of people are about alcohol someone who's very narrow-minded is going to look and be like it's their own fault for drinking and I don't yeah. feel like, well, it's available to everyone. I feel like if someone, because people are narrow-minded, it's not a case of they want to help people. Like someone who's in poverty, sometimes it can't be helped. Whereas in people's heads, it, being an alcoholic can be helped because mm, just stop drinking. But it's not as simple as that. But you're right. Like how many times you hear, well, if I give them money, they're just going to go and buy booze a bit. And you yeah. hear that about people kind of experience homelessness and all of those things so exactly that well if we support if we give them money if we do this or I think people who are dependent on alcohol are always just seen as being quite weak that they've chosen it and essentially that they will fail at the first hurdle there's not enough support around that it's like when we've always said like when dad's been put into hospital and he's come out a couple of weeks after and he's He's gone cold turkey, but then actually there's no, there's not a single amount of support after. And if someone is not willing to go, not everyone wants to go to do an alcohol anonymous, but there's no, there's no carers, there's no anything to 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 help prevent him actually going back drinking. Yeah, it's totally. My dad was, yeah, he was like medically detoxed several times. Yeah. No one ever then came to his bedside and said to him, "What can we do to support you?" Nobody yeah. ever got in touch with my brother and I and said, do you need any help? Do you need any advice? This is how you can. And, you know, it's not our job to support. It's not our job to make him stop, but we could have probably supported him more. I yeah. think is a fair assessment of, of where we were. But we didn't know where to go for that. Yeah, I think. And do you know what? Actually, now thinking about it, how many times we've sat, how many times we have sat in that hospital? And like you say, not, not once has anyone gone. Hang on a minute. These these two. Oh, it's you again. Yeah. You know, actually, how are you getting on? How is this? And you're right. No, it's like no one connects the dots. Even when we took, even when we took him in, uh, even when we took him in into A and E, we go in with the blue lights. It's all very dramatic. We get into A and E. We patch the leg up, and then we're still in there for about fourteen hours while we wait to decide what it is we're going to do but then when we get onto a ward and we start speaking to the the nurse in charge of the ward no one's connected the dots that actually our dad had liver failure and he had kidney failure so it's fine that you've just patched his leg up downstairs and you want him to have surgery you don't even understand any of his his, his background so it's like no one no one's piecing it together and I, I do remember us I do remember us literally trying to get a whole story out before yeah. we left him that night and I mean as it turns out us telling that at that point was obviously never going to make a difference but you know like you say maybe in times gone by if we'd have gone in if someone why is no one thinking to ask a question earlier on yeah it's a bit sad actually isn't it really yeah you know what had head shakes and eyeball rolls in hospital because you when you sign them in you have to tell them why you're there we had to very vocally say 
he's an alcoholic he's got this and this he's my dad was like partially conscious when well I say partially conscious he was still with it no he wasn't he didn't know who we were and we my sister could just about lift him up and put him in a chair but you still have to tell them and then you get people shaking their heads and paramedics rolling their eyes yeah. another no. narrow-minded though that's what it boils down so it's like it's an inconvenience isn't it because it's it's not a real illness is it yeah but 80 percent of illness is caused by what we eat and drink Mm. so actually (laughs) like if you really want to get technical about it and i could chat about that for hours and i had that argument with somebody i somebody once said to me who um was um had they had their own addiction with food. And I they, can't believe you're about to reignite this whole debacle. And they said to me, oh, your dad didn't deserve NHS treatment. He should have had it taken away from him. And I said, I just, I challenged it. I said, Does that same logic apply to other addictions like smoking and food and sugar? Like, how can you say that for one and not the other? Like, you can't, you can't, you can't. I'm not saying that, I'm not belittling other illnesses at all. I'm just saying you can't place one. On the, do you know what I mean? You can't. You just can't do that. It's it's a legal substance. It's available. It's glamorized. It's heavily promoted. It's not hidden behind a counter like cigarettes are. So like you're told to drink. If you don't have a drink, you're boring. Or yeah. do you know what? So there's all all of these contradictions, and then almost you get to a point where you're like, oh oh, you've gone. You've overstepped the line. Oh you're you're disgusting. Or you're weak and you're this and you're that. But alcohol causes physical dependence. So you can't just come off of it. You can't go cold turkey because it kills you. So once you're hooked on it and you're gripped, you need that support. You have to have that support for someone to help you physically and safely come off of it. So it's a real, it goes a lot deeper. And when you challenge people and you, and you explain that to them, they're like, Oh, I didn't, I didn't realize I'm, I'm, I'm a huge advocate to destigmatize because i think that's the starting point i think we need to destigmatize um, to be able to have open conversations about it girls i've had such a lovely time ages um let's go out for dinner after we've been to parliament i'm gonna get on that yes well i mean to be fair i was gonna tap up Callum and see if he might let us go (gasps) restaurant so it's on here now so if you're listening when you get to listen to it i'm gonna book the table for four (laughs) The amount of times when I kind of say something, they go, oh, that's Callum Best, isn't it? What's he like? He's really, he's really the, uh, he's really the ladies' man. And in that, he's not the ladies' man, but all the ladies love him. I get asked so often, what's he like? <laughs> I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna do. I'm gonna do. I'm gonna do oh, just FYI, we're off to, we're off to your restaurant after this. Yeah, let's do that's it. Good, won't it? Yeah. They've just announced it today as well, haven't they? They've put the feelers out today for it. So yeah, check your emails because you need to reply if you're coming to get yeah. your place. Straight on that, I was straight on that. I was in. There you go. Laura thought I'd gone mad. <laughs> <laughs> That's twice in a year. She's probably thought I've gone mad, but it's fine. <laughs> well, I will be seeing you in a couple of weeks, and then after that, we'll be seeing you in March. February. Girls, thank you. It's been February. it's a week after, isn't it? It's literally a couple of days after. It is. Twenty um, second of Feb. Twenty second of Feb. That's it. We like buses. We're going to see. We're going to. You're going to get a double dose in a week. Uh oh. Okay, let's. <laughs> <Nice to> pay, mate. <laughs>
before we fade out with the podcast outro do you want to let us know where people can find you on social media because you do have your own cover account don't you yes um so what's it what's lcoa journey i don't know what it was called yes so we put it on there so you can find us on there. We need to. We do need to kind of share a bit more often on there. We've probably not shared as much as as much as we like. It's just hard, isn't it? Um, Social media is a full time job. Yeah. And also, you you have a lot on. I'm not going to judge you for it. <laughs> Thanks. So so yeah, that's that's where you can find us. And then anything to do with the the gala or any anything, it's all in like the bio on that page. Oh, amazing. Well, listen. Thank you so much for coming on. For coming to talk to us. Yeah, I mean, your story is just, I think this one, I know, shouldn't, should I say this? Do I not? It's been quite funny. <laughs> if you're picking a favourite, that's awkward <laughs> because your sister did one of those. If you are. It's been a funny episode. And I don't, I feel, it doesn't feel right saying that because it hasn't, but there's elements of it yeah. that. My, am I speaking out of turn? Do I end? <laughs> no, but I really want you to play, make sure that a Freddie Mercury song is played at the gala in a couple of weeks Let so that know. I can. We've got it all lined up, don't you worry. You've been listening to Sarah and Amy, the children of Alcoholics Podcast. If any of the things we've been talking about resonates with you and you want further help, please contact Nakoa at www.nakoa.org.uk. There you will find a wealth of information, support and advice. And remember, you are not alone.